0: Welcome to the Wealth in Yourself podcast, a show dedicated to helping you master the complex subject of money by simplifying it through stories and actionable advice. I'm Josh St. Laurent, and this is Wealth in Yourself. Welcome to the Wealth in Yourself podcast, where we help people to design their ideal life and take control of their time and money. I'm your host, Josh St. Laurent, Today we're joined by Mondo Salavanti, Gen Z's financial planner. He's a certified financial planner and owner of Salavanti Financial Services. Mondo, so glad you're here. I've been looking forward to this. We've only spoken once, but I've been following your journey on LinkedIn, and love what you're doing to help Gen Z with their finances. And look forward to a fun conversation about what we can all be doing to up our financial game.
1: Yeah, thank you, Josh. I appreciate you having me. And from our first conversation, man. I think we were on the phone for over an hour, so I'm excited to dive in today.
0: Yeah, for sure. So, Mano, for the listeners who maybe aren't familiar with what you do, can you tell us who you are and and what you do? Yeah, so, I'm from Old
1: Forge, Pennsylvania, currently living in West Pittston, Pennsylvania. I just got my CFP a few months back. I've been a financial planner for three years now, and I run a financial planning practice, man. I really like to focus on a subscription-based model with my clients. Now, all of them aren't on that. I sort of cater the fee structure to how I'm working with them. But we work on a subscription-based model for the most part. Majority of my clients are 25 to 35 in tech sales, making 150 to 300, equity comp, that type of deal. So that's what I'm dealing with a lot of my time working with clients.
0: I love that. I love that. And I love that you're Gen Z's financial advisor. You know, there's a there's a gap in that space. Like from what I've seen, you know, there's so many older advisors who are focusing on retirees and not a lot of people doing what you're doing. So can you tell us a little bit about how did you decide on that niche and how did that come to be? It's funny.
1: Back when I started my career, I was working with a lot of pre-retirees actually, because for perspective, my parents are 53 and 54. So when I got in business, I said, mom, dad, like, who do you know that I could reach out to and use your name to potentially help them? And, and this is where I grew my clients and referral sponsors from there. And I was growing my business, growing my business that well ran out. So I get to the point where I'm like, I need to generate business somewhere else. LinkedIn was the natural next steps for me, figuring that out. And I'm thinking about where do I niche down? Meanwhile, I take a course from Justin Welsh, who for those of you who don't know Justin Welsh, he's a huge LinkedIn creator, big influencer, and he focuses on growing online businesses. So I take his course. He upsells a coaching call to me, which he doesn't do them anymore. So I'm glad I did that. And going through where should I niche down? What should I do to differentiate myself? Gen Z was the idea I had because I'm Gen Z. So I'm 25. Gen Z, I think, goes up to about 27 or 28 years old, roughly. And Justin says, man, that's it. Like, go with it because all the advisors in your game are going for the 50, 60, 70-year-olds because they have all the money. They've accumulated all the assets. But if you can cater your fee schedule to still make money, provide value for the people you're working with over that, that's a home run in my book. So what I came back to was, all right, subscription-based model. How do we pay for Netflix? How do we pay for Amazon subscription? So I said, why should this be any different? It shouldn't, it's a a service-based model, same thing. So I go on a subscription model. I start marketing myself as Gen Z's financial planner. And now this this was 11 months ago and it's really contributed to a lot of growth with LinkedIn and with my business.
0: Yeah, I love that story and kind of that evolution of how you landed on Gen Z. And I think one thing I really like about you is how differently you're doing things from other advisors. I don't think a lot of listeners know, but you and I got our start at the same company actually. And, you know, I remember thinking back to those days, some of the older advisors that were first mentoring me, you know, it was go to B and I, go to Chamber of Commerce, you know, you kinda of flipped that and you said, Well, hey, let me look at LinkedIn. That's where a lot of these Gen Z, you know, eyeballs are and that's kind of worked for you, you know, to build up your clientele and then AUM model, sort of this old way of pricing things. You said, no, let me go subscription. Like you said, And so you're sort of catering to that Gen Z niche and how they want to be talked to, how they want to work with a financial advisor. Maybe you can speak to some of the unique challenges that that group of people face and like what you're doing in that space to help them solve those problems. A big
1: reason that I focus on helping these people, as I mentioned, I relate to them, I'm in that age group, but a big reason, as I talk to people around my parents' age, 53, 54, even some of their younger friends that are in their 40s, I saw people that they've built up credit cards, debt or they didn't have savings or they're very behind on investing because they never started because they figured I only had a little bit to invest. Why should I invest anything? I saw those and thought, man, if I could have got to them when they were my age, if I could have sat down with them 10, 15, 20 years ago, well, what would this effect be? So now with, with Gen Z, a lot of the challenges they face aren't necessarily the most complex things in the world. Most of them want to get started investing, they want to buy a house, maybe they want to get started real estate investing, simple things like that. But even, hey, I I need to buy a car and I never did this on my own. I never had someone to really help me with, with something like that. All of these things that are just every life financial decisions that we all make, these are the things that I'm helping a lot of my clients with on a general level, because if they can make good decisions there, then moving forward, It's going to set them up to, to have success no matter what direction they go in just by avoiding mistakes on these decisions throughout their life.
0: Yeah, that's so important and overlooked, too. You know, a lot of the advisors that I used to mentor with, you know, who have this percentage based model, they're not able to help people with those sort of things because they can't make a living doing it. Right. So I think the subscription model kind of solves for that. What is a typical glide path of someone who comes to you and says, hey, these are kind of the host of problems that I'm having. And then a year later, you can say, hey, look how far we've come. And where do you get these people to? Or, Or, you know, what's the ideal situation?
1: I would tell you, Josh, a majority of my clients, there's a few common goals I see consistently. They want to buy their first house or a new house to upsize from their starter home. Number one. Number two. They want to start investing, but to elaborate on that, they're probably investing in some capacity, whether it's Robin Hood or their 401k, but they're like, I have more money, but I just don't know if these are the right places for it to go. And the third thing, maybe they have a side hustle that they want to turn into a main gig. Maybe they want to get into real estate investing. Maybe they want to start a business, but they want to be in the financial position to get there. So with a lot of my clients, in addition to that, a lot of the everyday choices come up of like, do I buy a car? Do I spend this much money here? What's my budget? And with my clients, I'm going through all of these things with them to make sure they're making a sound decision, which I know sounds pretty simple. But at the same time, I remember looking back at my parents' friends who were 34, 35, 45, 55 years old, and they were in positions where I'm looking at them like, man, if I could have talked to you 20 years ago, if I could have talked to you 30 years ago, the difference that would have been made. So helping my clients avoid the big mistake is what I see the biggest value to them because they're going to save money just by not making a mistake with their money.
0: Yeah, it's such a good point. I think, like, a common theme I keep hearing from you is the time that the folks have, you know, the younger folks. I mean, I can only speak for myself, but there's nothing more frustrating as a planner, you know, when someone comes to you at 67 years old and says, you know, hey, I'm ready to start saving for retirement or, you know, hey, I've been hearing about investing, you know, and it's like, man, you don't have the time. There's this huge element missing. And so I think that's so important. Like, if you can lay the foundation, you know, early on, get the savings habits, get debt free, buy the house, you know, you set yourself up for success. Success in your 30s and 40s. Is there a success story you can share with us, like a great client story? You know, where someone came in and maybe they're in a tough spot, and you know, maybe you're still working with them today, but they're in a completely different spot from when you you, you first met them.
1: All my clients that work with me, it's, well, majority of them, I won't say all, majority of my clients that work with me, it's an ongoing relationship. It's never a one-time plan. We do some things and see you later. So for all my clients, there's always this evolution of like, what are we working towards? What's top of mind? What's most important? If any of my clients are listening to this, they're probably laughing when they hear me say, what's top of mind? Because I come into every single meeting and ask them that question. But a couple of success stories, I don't want to use one example specific, but I think this theme is is really helpful. I've had people who are Gen Z, who are 25, who are 27, who are 30 years old, that they have some credit card debt or they have some bad debt and they hire me And we have a a very specific action plan to check in every so often. Some of them I'm talking to monthly, some of them I'm talking to bi-monthly or whatever timeline we come up with. And I've had this group of people that are clients of mine that I'm seeing real progress in. The savings every month is going up, the debt every month is going down, and it's easy to get caught up from our chair, Josh, because in our chair, it's like the investments excite us, making a big complex tax strategy, like that's exciting us. And, and those are really tangible things that you see instant value. And you could tell the client, hey, I just saved you $45,000 with this one recommendation. But with these types of clients I'm describing in particular, I'm looking at the compounding effect of changing this behavior now when they're in their first few years in their career, getting them out of this position, and then they're going to be able to start investing probably by 2024. It's just, you can't even put a number on that when you factor in how much credit card debt they might've gotten into without talking to me, how much savings they might've never had without talking to me.
0: Yeah. It's so true. Building those good habits, getting those patterns early on. It's hard to put a price on that. Like you said, you know, Hey, how much credit card debt, you know, how, how bad would this have snowballed if we didn't step in and kind of make a plan for it? Thinking through that, let's say, you know, someone's a Gen Z and they're listening to this right now, are there foundational tips that, you know, everybody who comes to you say, Hey, let's knock these three things out, you know, before we get started getting free of debt, or is there something foundational that you try to start everyone off on?
1: So my first year working, I lived with my parents still, which I think most people do. If you're a Gen Z and you're living at home still, then you just took your first job you probably don't have bills more than $1,000 a month. You might have a car payment, you might have car insurance. You'll buy food every month and you'll go out on weekends. If all that combined is much more than a thousand bucks a month, if that, I'd be very surprised. So I prelude with that to say this, my first year working at home, that was me. I saved a quarter of every single paycheck that I got and I invested half of every paycheck I got. This set me up to be in position to be only two and a half, three years working. And I was able to purchase a multifamily home with my fiance just off that first principle alone by the head start I gave myself in my first year. So now we have our first house, we're living in one unit. We have two rental units plus a garage on the back of the property that we also rent out. So we really have three rental units. So I use my example to say if you're at home and you start working, save as much money as you possibly could. You're gonna be happy you did it. And, and it's not a forever thing. Do it for one year. You don't have to do it two years. You don't have to do it three years. Do it for one year, and you'll probably be moving out faster than you faster than you thought you could, anyways. Beyond that, though, I'll say this: not everyone's in that position. So if you aren't, these are the things that, that you want to make sure you prioritize. Number one, just make a budget. It's the most simple thing in the world. Probably every advisor you talk to is gonna tell you make a budget when you first start working. But seriously, do it. Go through all your expenses. Be realistic with yourself and understand, here's my net income. Here's my expenses. What should be left over? And then that leftover money, decide how much you want to spend of that and decide how much you want to save of that. Of that leftover money, I would probably say spend half of it, save slash invest the other half. That's just like a general rule of thumb. Your personal situation might vary, so don't take that as personal advice. But if you really don't know where to go and you don't work with, with an advisor, that could be a deal decent strategy. Beyond that, you're going to want to build to six months of your expenses sitting in a savings account. This is quite frankly to avoid credit card debt. Credit card debt will, will be a detriment to your wealth. Having an emergency fund helps you avoid that. Those are the two major points I'd say, man. And like the last one, just to hammer at home, 401k match. If your company offers a 401k, contribute to the match. 401k match is not free money. Your 401k match is taking advantage of your full compensation. And I want you to, to remember this with that point. If you don't think your company factors in your 401k match to the salary they're paying you. I don't know what to tell you because I promise you they are. So make sure you take care of your 401k match, build the six months of expenses in savings and make sure you make a budget.
0: Man, I love that. I love those three. I love the hustle, kind of the grind of your story of getting that multifamily. I'm thinking back, you know, when I was doing something similar, you know, just saving as much as I could, working two jobs, just grinding, trying to get that first multifamily. But I remember I was an anomaly among my peers. You know, you mentioned earlier, like on this seat, you know, sometimes it's easier to take things for granted. We have all this education, you know, and we're surrounded by other people doing these things. I know mindset is big in in what you do. Is it a challenge sometimes for younger people to say, hey, put that money in the retirement account, you'll be glad later on down the road. Like how do you frame that and get people in the mindset of building wealth?
1: A question that I've framed before really helps with this. Josh, let's say you don't follow through and you don't start investing today. And now you wake up 10 years from now and you never did. How would you feel about the money you've put away so far in that case? And the answer to that question is really simple. Well, I wouldn't feel good about it. I'd be behind. I'd be nervous. And any 25, 30-year-old, 35-year-old, they're going to say that to you flat out. And it sounds stupid when I ask that question, but asking that in the form of a question is better saying, you're going to regret this in 10 years. You're going to regret this in five years. So when I could ask questions like that to my clients, it really helps them to reframe of like, oh, I feel what this would be if I don't do this. I don't don't want to end up in that position. So I think just through guiding my clients to their own realizations of like, what really is the impact of not starting and, and what's my issue with that? That's huge. Also, like I've done it analytically. So I've showed them if you started 25 compared to 35 and you put X amount of dollars away, you literally would not have the same at 65, even if you doubled it. So you need to put somewhere around like 2.5X, 3X away if you wait 10 years just based on market returns. That alone to me is like, I want to start right now because I want to live my life and put money
0: away. I love that perspective looking for the long term getting that mindset right to building wealth early on is there anything else you can share with us as far as you know how you're partnering with these people I know technology has become you know there's been this wave of new technology advisors are using and I know a lot of people are gravitating to it as well whether it's something to help with visuals or to explain concepts or maybe just to illustrate their wealth you know across a spectrum of all the accounts they have can you talk a little bit about what kind of technology you're using and how clients partner with you on that?
1: Yeah, I don't go too crazy. I use eMoney and I think eMoney does a good job with their decision center and some of their reports to just conceptualize like, here's where you are, here's a picture. Laying out a balance sheet in front of someone I don't think is the best thing in the world, but it's better than anything they've seen before because they've never done it for themselves. I I tell you, Josh, probably 99% of the people I've talked to have not seen a balance sheet of them. And that alone is worth the fee that someone pays me because that could tell you a million different things. To do so with any money, a lot of those those reports. Other than that, I'm old fashioned. Like I'm on a whiteboard on Zoom, I'm drawing stuff out. Like it's just how I visualize and learn things. And I think many people are visual learners in that way. So I try to draw things out and simplify them as much right. as I could because I, I think people understand it, and, and people won't take action unless they understand something.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. I'm a big fan of the whiteboard too. I'd consider myself old school in kind of a similar way. So let's say someone listening wants to work with Mondo. What does that look like? You said there's different touch points. Some people maybe monthly, quarterly, like what does that look like? You know, they give you a call and they say, hey, I'm having, you know, these three kind of things and here's where I want to get to in a year. What could they expect when working with you? someone
1: wants to work with me, I have a really simple process that I go through every single time. First, we do a phone call and I understand what your situation is, why you wanted to even schedule with me in the first place. And I got to ask some financial questions because I need to understand if you're someone that I can even help. So I'm gauging if you're a fit, you're sort of gauging if I'm a fit, and I'm getting a really good idea of what is the problem we're solving, why haven't you solved it so far, and what's stopping you. So beyond that, if I think that I can't help them and they want to have another call, we'll do a second call. In that second call, I go through my process, I tell them how much I charge, and the ball is in their court. If they want to work together, great. If they don't want to work together, also great, and I'm here to be a resource for them should they ever want to work together. Beyond that, for the clients that do move forward and we do work together, we go through a pretty extensive process in the beginning. usually about two to three months. We probably meet eight times in those two to three months, give or take. And we're going through a financial plan. I'm I'm helping them reorganize their finances to be optimal for what they're trying to do. And after that, it's pretty much, all right, we're going to have quarterly check-ins. So every client we meet at least quarterly, the people that I meet with monthly, we don't meet as long. It's more so like every other, every quarter we'll have like a Zoom meeting or in person if they're local, but most of my clients are on Zoom. And every month we might do a phone call check-in, but I tell my clients, you have access to me. So if we have a quarterly meeting set for three months out and you need me a month from now, reach out to me. We'll set a meeting. I don't charge you for every breath that I take. So they have that luxury. So that's why I say like some clients, we end up meeting monthly because they just need higher frequency touch points based on their situation. Comes back to finance being personal. Other clients, we might have quarterly meetings set up and the quarterly meeting comes and they're like, you know what, man, like we're good. Like we can wait till the next one. And, and that happens sometimes. And sometimes I'm not, I don't let them off the hook because there might be something on my mind that I got to talk to them about. But yeah, man. So it looks different for every client, but from a general level, it's a guaranteed four meetings a year at least. It usually ends up being more than that for some people. Some people, it could be less. It's just what the client
0: wants. Fair enough. And you're not restricted as far as where you can meet with people. You said a lot of clients are on Zoom. So I'd imagine you work you know, nationwide, it sounds like.
1: Yeah, right now, I believe Arizona, Minnesota, Texas, Florida, New York, New Jersey, PA, Maryland, Delaware, 13 different states right now. I don't know them memorized off the top of my head, but I could work with anyone in in any 50 states. All I need to do is purchase the state license. And as you know, in our industry, if you're a licensed financial planner, for those of you that don't know, you want to work with somebody, all you need to do is purchase the license in the state that the client lives in if you don't have it already and, and you're able to work together by the law.
0: Great. Just wanted to make sure to cover that. I want to switch gears a little bit. You know, we've got kind of two different groups of people listening. We've got the wealth builders and we've got the business owners. So I wanted to switch gears, talk a little bit about your business. If you can talk to us about the kind of trials and tribulations, you know, the journey, if you will, how it started, and maybe start in the past, get us up to today, and then we can look, you know, over the next year. What are you looking forward to?
1: Yeah. So going back to my like start, I started in 2020 and, and my first three months were pretty dark, man. I made like 300 some dollars. I, I had barely any clients. I realized that I didn't know everything. I needed to ask for help from other people. So I, I'd go to mentors. I'd go to other advisors. I went to my parents. Like I mentioned earlier, I literally asked them, who can I reach out to and use your name? Like, who can I? That was the turning point for me because I started to learn more. I started to realize it's okay to tell a client, hey, I don't know that, but I'll get back to you with the answer from someone who does know that. And really it taught me more than anything, resourcefulness is more important than knowing everything, flat out. With that, I grew through referrals, had an awesome first year. It went from horrible to awesome. My second year was awesome. I sort of started my LinkedIn journey in my second year. And now in my third year, closing it out, LinkedIn has really generated a ton of business for me. Some of the things I'm excited about, I started on Twitter, I, I'm starting some email marketing, so I'm hoping that those could help facilitate growth in my business. My business along with LinkedIn, even though LinkedIn is awesome, I have some speaking opportunities coming up I'm really excited about later this year. So, yeah man, just just trying to grow the business and get on get on as many opportunities as I can.
0: I love that. I love that journey. And I know we talked about this on our call maybe a couple of weeks back. I want to get to that kind of that LinkedIn journey. I think that's really cool how you built that. But before you do, I I wanted to just ask, was there a big mistake? You know, as an entrepreneur, I've realized like a lot of my biggest learnings are from the big mistakes, you know, and you say, Well, geez, you know, I gotta pivot and do something different. Was there a moment or an event that happened that you're like, man, I gotta do something different and learn from this?
1: It's a really good question. I don't think there was necessarily one specific mistake but something that i i struggled with a lot early in my career too was letting other people influence what was most important to me too much and i think it's okay to have influence in, in that aspect but i was letting other people dictate what my goals should be and why they should be my goals and how i should go about them and, and i look back and it led to burnout quite frankly in my second year i, I really had a period of time there where I was burnt out, man. I flat out was. And I looked at my business and, and I repositioned it. And this is when I started going back to LinkedIn and, and targeting Gen Z. And the biggest shift for, for me was I'm going to set goals based on what I want in life and what's going to make me happy. And the step that I took to do that was defining my vision and really writing things out in terms of where do I want my life to be? What's it going to look like? Who's it going to be with? How's it going to be? And what's it going to feel like? So the big mistake you talk about, I think, just Letting other people dictate what your goals should or shouldn't be. Should is an illusion. There's no such thing as should. Make your goals what you want them to be.
0: I like that. I think there's a lesson in there too about just perseverance, right? Like a lot of the most successful entrepreneurs I've talked to, they failed a million times, right? And kept going, got back up. So I think that's huge that you stuck with it and obviously you're making it work. I think it'll be interesting for people listening, you know, maybe one big financial decision that you made that led to success. Maybe that was something that you're doing on LinkedIn to lead to the business growth, or maybe that's the multifamily you bought. Does something come to mind for you? The
1: multifamily house is probably the best financial decision I've made. I've only been in here two months, and I just see with the rents that I'm getting because we do short-term rentals in our units, and I'm just seeing it already the effect it's going to have on me. So that that is it. But I'll, I'll use something else just to give another point here. When I started the turnaround, my first year in business, I made really good money that year that like I never expected, and I'm sitting there and I have all this cash, and I'm like, I don't know what to do with this cash. Like, what do I do? Like, do I invest? In the market, do I do something else? And people around me had always said, "Oh, business coaches like like they're awesome. That'll help you." And I never had a coach for anything before, besides when I played football. So I coincidentally get cold pitched by a coach. His name's Simon Granner. and Simon focuses with financial advisors, honing in their offer for their clients and putting them in a position to provide more value to their clients. I'm like, "All right, this seems like the guy that could help me." So I paid Simon forty five hundred bucks for three month engagement. We ended up working together in the future. For for even longer. And working with Simon, man, I mean, it really did set my career on a different trajectory than it would have been. And and it's one of the best investments I've made in
0: myself for sure. Yeah, mentorship is huge. And I think it gets undervalued a lot. You know, a lot of people say, well, you know, when I get to this point, maybe then I'll hire the coach. Do you have any tips for anybody? I know it's kind of a crazy story how you guys met. You said you kind of got cold pitched by him. Do you have any tips for anyone out there looking for a mentor, who they should seek out, like what kind of qualities this great coach would have?
1: people naturally want to help. So I wouldn't be too hung up in like scurrying for a coach or scurrying for a mentor. They'll come into your life naturally. I think putting yourself out there and just hanging around the rim, so to speak, like be around successful people, put yourself in uncomfortable situations. Also realize this, there's never going to feel like the perfect time to pay a coach or a consultant or buy a course or go to an event, insert anything. There's never a perfect time. The perfect time is when you take action, use that information, use that application and implement it into your life flat out. When everyone else is retreating, you putting your foot on the gas and going for something and taking that risk, that's how you're going to get ahead in
0: life. I love that advice. I love the journey of the practice. I love everything that you're doing on LinkedIn. Can you talk about what you've done on LinkedIn? I think a lot of people are really impressed with your your journey there. You're following, you know, the content you put out is excellent. Can you say a little bit about that and how that evolved? So my
1: first two years as an advisor, I used it how I think 99% of financial advisors use it. I cold pitched as many people on my service as I could because I was always told it's a numbers game. You got to talk to a million people. So I'm like, hey, I'm Mondo. You don't know me, but how about I show you what I do and how I can help you? Like, who's going to say yes to that? Nobody. No one's going to say yes to that. And honestly, I did get meetings with some people, but for the amount of effort I was putting in, it was minimal. Last year, when I got to that point that I bought the Justin Welsh course, I did the coaching with Justin Welsh. I sort of got to that point because I realized like, okay, there has to be a better way. And Justin just happened to be the guy that I came across with the course at the time. And I'm like, all right, I'll take this guy's course. I'm going to act like I know nothing and I'm going to just do what he says. So I did that. And then we move on, I start getting clients like the next week after I'm implementing things from the course. And I'm like, this is crazy. Now, it was sort of a coincidence because over like my first six months, really like having a strategy, I probably got like three clients, off off LinkedIn, which is still pretty good, honestly, if I'm, if I'm being real and maybe leads like five X that maybe like 15, 20 leads or so now the next six months after that, which are these past six months, I've literally gotten 70 plus conversations with potential with prospects inquiring about my business from LinkedIn directly, which is just insane for me to even say out loud. Cause I think about the days where I was like scrounging for one prospect. So off of that, I've signed 19 clients this year. I'm anticipating that to be even higher. I've sort of had a a backlog here because I had a lot of people inquire in April and it's just led up to now. I plan to at least double that for the rest of the year. That's the goal. And with that, man, like it's really come from I post content every day. I make the content once a week and schedule it out because if I had to sit down and write it every day, it's just not feasible. And I think for many people, it's not. Second, I'm putting myself in the circles with people who I want to be around whether it's successful financial advisors, people in my niche, which primarily is 25 to 35 year olds in tech sales. And other than that, influencers, Justin Welsh, you have other people that have a ton of followers that you can go add value and comment on their posts. And this is going to significantly contribute to your growth on the platform because people see you, they view your profile and they're going to want to follow you. So through doing all of that, my strategy became how do I have conversations at scale with people? How do I spark up any conversation for any reason I can, whether it's viewed my profile, liked my post, we follow somebody or I just saw a post of theirs that they liked and funny things happen where you just have these conversations, people see that you're an advisor and they had this financial question on your mind and, and on their minds and you're there right there at right that second they ask you. So whenever I get asked, that's an open door for me to pitch because this person clearly has a need and they need help. It's like if you're out and you're talking to a dentist, then you need a root canal. Is the dentist going to tell you, oh, you you know, just let that go. We'll talk later. Like, I don't need to help you with that. No, they're not going to say that. They're going to say, all right, we could schedule something. You can come in if you really need help with that root canal. Same thing with us. That's essentially the strategy that I've taken and it's served me very well.
0: I love that. Such good points. I've been surprised too. I bought the Justin Welsh course as well. Shout out to Justin Welsh. It's amazing when you start putting value out there, you know, how how good people will find you, you know, and people with questions will sort of trust you as a source of information that they can rely on. Sounds like you've got some really ambitious goals. I'm doing my first keynote speech this October in Portland, Maine. It's gonna be with
1: the International Disability Insurance Society. So I'm really excited for that. The topic is how to build a financial services practice through LinkedIn. Shout out to Maxwell Schmitz. He was the man that asked me to, spe- to speak at the conference. So that's gotta be what's most exciting for me right now, man, in the next year.
0: I love that, that is exciting. If someone wants to track you down online, where would they find you?
1: Go on LinkedIn, Mondo the Third. You can go on Facebook. Mondo Salivante III, Twitter, same thing. Pretty much easiest place to find me.
0: Cool, I love it. I'll put it in the show notes for everybody listening. You know, he's he's easy to track down. Definitely give Mondo a follow. We're gonna transition into the big three here. So first question, what does living a wealthy life look like for you? Really simple.
1: We have to live the life of like, Am I putting money away and making good financial decisions? Of course, which I talked about this before. This ties back to why you should start focusing on your finances earlier when you are in your 20s rather than waiting till your 30s or 40s. Because if you can start earlier, you don't need to put as much money away on a per paycheck basis later. Then you have this excess cash that you can now use to travel. You can use to buy the material things, whatever your goals are that aren't necessarily financial things. a wealthy life to me is being able to do a, a career I love, which is financial planning. I love talking to my clients. I love having Zoom meetings with them. I, I love the interactions of solving their problems and, and seeing that pain leave their body. But while doing that, I have the freedom and flexibility that, that I can go on a cruise next month with my family and my fiance. I could go to the beach for a few days for my fiance's birthday later this year, like things like that, that, that I could enjoy my life as much as I want to and my money isn't a problem, that's a wealthy life. It isn't a number. It isn't a million dollars. It isn't a hundred million dollars. It's, are you living, doing the things you want to do with the people you want to do them with, without
0: stress, flat out. Couldn't agree more. I love that. Second question. Let's say at a thousand dollars, you're starting over. What would be the first thing you do with that money? $1,000.
1: $1,000. I'm starting over. What would I do with that money? Take all the, if you were taking all the knowledge and all the skills away from me that I have starting over, I would say that $1,000 would go to a course that I have an actual course I would buy. Cause I know it's less than $1,000. James Pollard. He has the advisorcoach.com. Awesome guy. Total side note. Look him up. If you're an advisor, he will change your practice. He has a product called your first year as a financial advisor. And I think it's a couple hundred bucks. That'd be the first thing I'd buy. I would take that course and then I would implement that. See what I need to do with the leftover money afterwards.
0: Cool. I love it. Personal development. That's a good answer. What's the biggest mistake you've made financially?
1: Biggest mistake that I made financially was getting too enamored in like stock picking. I think naturally when you get into this career, like, like I remember like I just passed my Series 66. I can manage my own money. I'm like, oh, I'm going to buy this stock and I'm going to buy that stock. And, and I'm just like, why? It's just stupid. So I had a couple losers in there before, but if anything, it's taught me like individual stock picking for long-term investing is fine day trading is it's just the odds are against you so i haven't like lost real money it was always play money so to speak but it's just not worth the time that you're putting into it and also the likelihood that you'll succeed so if you are investing in individual stocks like make sure you do all your research and I, i wouldn't factor in selling it in a couple month time span or something
0: I love that message because I know you see this stuff. I see it every day, you know, the people on YouTube, TikTok, wherever, you know, kind of touting the, the day trading, get rich quick, you know, and typically it backfires. I'm sure you, you have these clients who come to you who lost their shirt, you know, in the market and in, in a couple of weeks time, trying to day trade from a newsletter or Reddit or something that they read. So that's, I think that's really good advice.
1: And actually I'll add to that. This is funny when I was, so before I was an advisor, I was flipping sneakers and I had a pretty good business. I made like 15 grand over the course of a few months as a college kid. And I invested a bunch in crypto and I had made like 20 grand in crypto. Well, not made because I didn't sell, but I literally made like 20 grand. And this was over the course of like 2020 to 2021. And I never took any chips off the table and it pretty much just wrote it down to like be broken even essentially. So I don't know if I call that a mistake because like who knows what the top of any market is, but it's just funny to bring up, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a tough one. I have a similar story with crypto. Maybe that's, you know, next time you come back, we can talk about that. I want to revisit systems and processes with you too. It's been good talking with you. I feel like we covered a ton. One last final question for you. If you had one message to give anyone out there who's struggling to find financial freedom, what would that message be?
1: It'd be similar to another point I made today. You got to come back to your vision. And if you've never focused on what your vision is and what you want in life, do that. Take 20 minutes, grab a pen and a paper, don't use your phone, don't use your laptop, a physical pen and a piece of paper. Write down what you want your life to look like in five years. Just write everything down, anything that comes to mind, don't judge yourself, don't hold back, write that down. When you have that, I want you to look at what you're doing today. What does your life look like? What are your habits? What are the things you're doing with your money? And it'll become very clear that those actions you're taking today, if you are struggling, there's probably things in there that you can take out or they aren't serving you to get to what that vision is. Once you see that and you subtract those things, figure out what the actions are that are what's gonna get you to those things. So when you you could get on that path, and it's not gonna be easy, you might need help from other people, you could consult an advisor, You can consult a money coach, whoever that person to help you is. If you do need help, it's going to set you so much further ahead to be able to say, now I know what path I'm trying to go to. These are the actions I take. This is the person that's going to help me get there.
0: I love that message. But any last words you want to say to the people listening? Just thanks for having me, Josh.
1: I mean, I appreciate you bringing me on, letting me have the platform with your audience and, you know,
0: awesome conversation man. Likewise, man. Well, best of luck over the next year. You got an incredible practice, a lot of big stuff coming up. So eager to see what you do. And I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Thanks, man. Well, perfect, man. Thanks for coming on. I hope to have you on again down the road. Thank you to everybody listening. This has been Mondo Salavanti. Don't forget to follow him. I'm Josh St. Laurent. Thanks for listening to the Wealth in Yourself podcast. The Wealth in Yourself podcast is hosted by me, Josh St. Laurent, and edited and produced by Ray Haycraft. To learn more about how to make your money work for you, visit us at www.wealthinyourself.com and connect with us on all social media at Wealth In Yourself. And as always, thanks for listening. This podcast is educational in nature and is not meant to be investment advice. Please do not construe anything said to be advice and the opinions of the guests may or may not represent the opinions of Wealth In Yourself.